Across America, BP supports more than 275,000 jobs to keep energy flowing. Jobs like updating turbines at one of our Indiana wind farms and producing more oil and gas with fewer operational emissions in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. As a professional welder, Shayna Ford uses Forge FX to practice over and over, which helps her improve her skills. The more muscle memory that you have, the smoother your weld is. Learn more at meta.com slash metaverse impact. There's plenty to celebrate in March and ex- Craft Month with the perfect pizza at home class from Craftsy. And anytime is right to listen to iHeartRadio's iHeartCountry Radio. Discover more shows and movies for free. CNN Underscore's Guide to Sleep has tons of recommendations for products that can help you get the best night's sleep ever. All right, let's face it. Most of us have had trouble falling or staying asleep at some point. And there are a lot of products and hacks claiming to be the solution to our sleepless nights. That's why the CNN Underscored team spend hundreds of hours testing products to find the ones that can make a huge difference in the quality of your slumber. Visit Underscored.com now for our ultimate guide to getting better sleep. Welcome to 500 Greatest Songs, a podcast based on Rolling Stone's hugely popular, influential, and sometimes controversial list. I'm Brittany Spanos. And I'm Rob Sheffield. We're here to shed light on the greatest songs ever made and discover what makes them so great. From classics like Fleetwood Mac's Dreams to The Ronettes' Be My Baby, and modern day classics like The Killer's Mr. Brightside. Listen to Rolling Stone's 500 Greatest Songs starting on March 13th on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm David Grosso, and you're listening to Follow the Prophet. I'm David Grosso, and you're listening to another episode of Follow the Prophet. This week, we have a very special guest. He's actually a friend of mine, or at least a virtual friend of mine. We're pandemic friends. <laughs> His name's Atul Prashar. He lives Look over in you. New Jersey, and he's the host of Whiskey Hue and the partner of KMH Group. And he's also a board member at the Digital Diversity Network. Try to say that three times. Atul, thanks for joining me today. What's up? Thanks for having me. This is great. Out in sunny Cali. We're, we're envious of you. Yeah, well, you know, that's going to blow a hole in my bank account. But you know a lot about that living in the Northeast. So, so much to talk about today. It seems like the news cycle is a little boring because, you know, we no longer have President Trump. But the tech news cycle is actually crazier than ever. So let's talk about Facebook, because Facebook seems to be perennial, perennially in the headlines, which right. evidently it's now called Meta. Tell me about yep. Facebook. As of three and a half minutes ago, apparently it's called Meta. So, you know, we I think you and I have talked about this. We talked about this on our pod as well, the Whiskey Hue pod. Um, look, Facebook, as we've known it for the last 10, 15 years, uh, what, 2004, 2005, they've been around, so 15, 16 years, is going to be completely different from the Facebook that is going to be 10 years from now that we're going to know, right? So he's already signaled that he wants to kind of get rid of, like, not get rid of, ha 
not just be an old person's playground on Facebook. He want you know, there's just uh, he wants to kind of play another play. Another arena that he wants to play in is the metaverse. So Meta M E T A is the perfect name for a guy like him. We can call him. You can have a personal judgment on whatever he's cushion gate, whatever he's too small to sit up at really tall at the microphone in Congress. Get it? Uh, but he's a genius. Whatever, you, wh- however you want to slice it, the man is brilliant. Um, maybe evil. Who knows? But metaverse is an an entirely it's a, an amazing space. We're playing in it. We're looking to invest in it. I'm looking personally and through the fund. So I think it's going to be exciting. We could talk about the metaverse as much as you want. You call it. Yeah. So Mark Zuckerberg, which is, of course, who you're mentioning, you know, kind of changed the way we view the world. I was one of the first users of Facebook back in 2004. I was a visiting student at Columbia University. And I remember all my friends were like, you should log on to this thing. And since then, you know, it's revolutionized the way we live. So whether you think he's evil, not evil, Superman, etc., it seems like he's made a name for himself for changing the trajectory of mankind. So what yeah, is the metaverse or what is meta, aka Perfect. Facebook? Yeah, let's, the artist good, formerly good known as Facebook. Right. Yeah. <laughs> let's let's tee it up. So what what the metaverse is apart from meta, meta the new Facebook, the old whatever. Metaverse is basically it's a it's a digital it's digital real estate and it has coordinates so you can actually point like just like you do in your Google Maps. I'm going from here to Columbia University or whatever you put it in your Google Maps. Boom, you're there. It guides you along the way. This also has in the digital real world. It's going to be part of Web 3.0. Is it has coordinates. I want to just think of it this way. Uh, let's say Times Square is the way it looks now, right? We know the 2021 version of Times Square. We know the 80s version of Times Square was significantly different, right? You could have Oof, got, you could gotten, gotten a little gotten a little crack, <laughs> a little skirt, whatever you wanted, right? There's a lot of a lot of interesting stuff happening there. 90s, you know, homie, homie tried to cl- cleaned it up a bit and it got Disneyfied. ABC and Disney moved in, and now it's just it's very clean until the pandemic happened again. What if you could you can't visit the 80s version anymore? Can't visit the 90s or the 60s version in the metaverse? You definitely can. So they, what they can do is create the current version of it, mimicking it. Basically, you so you walk in a digital world similar to Roblox and all this. Metaverse has been around since 2003, 2004, um, since as long as Facebook, basically in in video games. But that was very two dimensional. Now it's three dimensional because of the advent of blockchain so you can actually store and you can hit coordinates so now just think of it this way you go to the in the visual world on your computer or mobile phone you go just look at you kind of go and visit your avatar of you can go and visit 2021 times square see what it's like now you can also then maybe walk 10 steps another coordinate you enter and then go to the 80s version of it so i'm looking at this way i think it's going to be a huge play for brands there's going to be the lvmhs of the world who are going to try to, to make a stake They'll have their have their audience, similar to how Glossier was the brand that launched for millennials. I think you're going to have a crypto native or a blockchain native brand that launches in the metaverse, which is sexier and which is what the Gen X p- folks want to play with. That's the did I kind of sum it up? Metaverse. It's just a di- alternative reality in a sense. And and this in this alternative reality, if I'm not mistaken, Azul, it's basically like you can buy clothes, you can buy a virtual dog, and you can be an avatar of the best version of yourself. You can basically identify as anything, correct? You can be the best or worst version, whatever your whatever suits your boat, right? And you can <laughs> so absolutely. And think of it this way: so I, I always bring the same. Let's say we're in, you're traveling, you, you you're in Rome. Um, it's going to complement what you're doing in your physical world. Cause you still have to access it through a headset, Oculus, Facebook. We'll talk about what they acquired Oculus 2014, 15, 
we'll talk about that in a moment, but that's how they access it right now. Right now, you do have to access it through some device. At some point, maybe 20 years down the road, you won't need a device. And we'll talk about that. That'll be creepy, but amazing at the same time. So you're, you're, the metaverse is that. So let's say if we visited Rome, the Coliseum, boom, I'm back in town now. I'm back in New York, New Jersey area. Okay, I, I miss it. My friends and I, whoever they're sitting, they can be in Budapest, they can be in California, they can be anywhere they want. Hey, let's do a meetup virtually in there and have drinks, right? And you can get sponsors to sponsor that drink and all that. There's a lot of brand stuff that's going to be happening. Education will be coming this way. There'll be a lot of just friendship synergies, but it's to complement real life, right? It's augmenting reality. Which is so crazy because it seems like it's just pure profit for these companies. Of course, this podcast is called Follow the Profit. That seems like a great <laughs> business. I can sell you a, a virtual bottle of wine that doesn't really have any you know, sort of effect on your real body, and I can charge you for it, can't I? Yeah. And you know, there might be something, like, let's say Nike drops a shoe, right? There's a shoe drop. I'm trying to use young people's terms just to fit in. Uh, so they, there's a shoe drop Thursday. You get the physical shoe. Then with it, you get an NFT card or something, and you get to kind of log in and see it. So, th and then it, your your avatar in the in the metaverse gets to wear that a uh, design of that shoe. There will be things where you design things in the metaverse, and then you can actually have a physical printout of it, of a shoe, whatever it is that you design there. It's going to be fascinating, but it's just it's an alternative reality. Can I, may, may I piggyback and say one more thing? When you since you mentioned brands, this is a perfect segue. So think about authentic brands. Is is they buy old distressed assets, right? So they own, not Shaq is still a commodity. He's a hot commodity. They own the estate of, you know, the digital, the, the rights to Elvis, Marilyn Monroe. They just acquired Reebok from Adidas. Adidas tried to make an American play. They acquired them for 4 billion several years ago, just sold them to authentic brands for 2 billion. Why the hell would anyone want a Reebok anywhere? No one's wearing it. But just think about what I said earlier. Let's say you have the Times Square version of the 80s version of Times Square, if your avatar is walking along, <laughs> Reebok can now brand, right? They can have a little store, like a mom and pop type of store or in the Foot Locker there, and they can have Reebok represented, and they're getting revenue off of that. So it's it's pure profit play. All of this is, right? So so I can go, you know, get in my DeLorean with my white Reeboks and my, uh, <laughs> you know, <laughs> La Tigra shirt and, you know, just be <laughs> 80s out of my mind in the metaverse, <laughs> can't I? <laughs> yeah. Go shopping. Then, then like, you know, then the poor guy can go. No, no, I shouldn't say poor guy. Then someone else, can, if you're not, if you're in a DeLorean, someone else can go to the Kmart, which was around then, get their members only jacket, which was around then, right? You can do all these brands now. Brands never cease to exist because there's an opportunity for them to be commoditized in any generation now, which is amazing. So I can I can go back and you know buy my own Teddy Ruxpin instead of my parents buying it for me and host my own Ninja Turtles birthday party. You know I can live in the past, can't I? <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> well, that's really exciting. So I guess this segues into a topic that I always love talking about, which is the you know the transformation of our world through technology. And I think very few people understand the implications of what's going on right now and how it's going to change our entire way of life. And I always hear that, you know, the U.S. is fading into economic obscurity. But the way I see things, and you could disagree with me, is that there's really no country out there that's better prepared for this whole tech revamp of our life, especially in a lot of countries that are really stuck in the past. I, I believe we're a very forward-looking society, and we'll be the first to latch on to things like the metaverse and uh, all this type of stuff. Do you feel like we're prepared? So I, I'm going to agree and disagree with you, right? So I think, yes, we are 
better prepared. We have what well, we have the coffers of cash, right? We're 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 a net debt society right now, but that that's that's a side point. We never really have to repay that if we don't want to. Yes, tech play. So here's what we, so the industrial revolution was very operational and upfront cost heavy, right? So not everyone could play. We America played and killed it. We actually owned that space. Now with technology, it lowers the barriers to entry. It makes it more accessible from a co- upfront cost perspective. So I do believe so that I agree with you in one component, but let's counter it for a second and get back to agreeing with you so we can all be happy. So Philippines, right? They created this game called Axie Infinity, which is in the metaverse. You can actually go and you have a token to enter the game and then you get to go and play this game. There are people who are, they're like millionaire, billionaire folks, like hundred millionaire type folks who are buying a lot of the coins and they're getting, they're basically paying out a fee and you, during in this game, you go and collect other coins and other assets, digital assets, and you accrue real money. That's created in the Philippines, and now it's, it's having a, having a global play. I think something like this actually levels the playing field a bit more, where other countries, Philippines, there wasn't this kind of tech coming out of there on par with something that Americans and maybe China or some other countries would want to play, whether in Europe. Now they are right. I think there is a slew of talent everywhere that if you just give them access to creating money which in tech they have that access now with lower barriers to entry they can actually kill it but america has a lot of coffers of money so we can end a lot of debt that we can raise that we can actually build the rails and dictate terms for a short period of time but i think china and a lot of european countries are hot on the tail that's really interesting so they're actually both but of course our corporations kind of lead the efforts for this technological transformation it's obvious uh, you know facebook now known as meta is based right here in california and you know reebok you just mentioned that another american company you know just offloaded by a german company and bought by another american company so it seems like this is still the capital of capital isn't it I agree. I agree with that. So, and you know, at the, at the end of the day, China, China and Japan, Japan holds more debt, U.S. debt than China does. But at the end of the day, we could just choose not to pay it, repay it. Right. I mean, and that's that's horrible. That'll cause a lot of other escalations. But there is that. But yeah, there is. We still have. I think we can still dictate terms, but agree or disagree. I do think we, a U.S. has a come to a place of complacency, like in math and science. We've kind of dropped off. We used to be, kind of lead the charge. That's where a lot of other Asian counterparts are actually picking up the charts because they knew that, hey, they're looking up at America and say, we need to catch up. And they really dial down and try to educate their their younger population in that space. And they've caught up now and they've actually surpassed America in many capacities. That's scary. I do want America to remain number one because it's just been our bread and butter and it's been great for all of us, right? Been a nice arena. So I think we've gotten a bit complacent as a holistic society, but you really only need five to Eight percent of the population to really be to run the run everything right. So, <laughs> technically, we're still so, doing that well. I mean, yeah. and and if you look at you know uh, anyone anywhere, any elite program. My husband's in a very elite program here at UCLA, and there's basically two Americans in his class. So it seems like we're importing oh. a lot of our talent these days. Interesting, and that's that's a that's also a margin play, right? You get to charge international students a lot more for the same program, and then. So that that's a good thing too, but that's amazing. There's only two Americans. Interesting. Yeah, well, it's uh, you know aeronautics, you know advanced engineering, uh-huh. heavy math and science, and it seems like we import our, a lot of our talent from Asia, from Europe, from around the world, and it seems yeah. like that's what keeps America powerful is this constant, you know, never-ending fountain of talent that is interested in coming here. 
Can we can we play off that for a moment? I'm going to jump in. So you, you said a brilliant statement. So they came here and typically, until recently, they used to stick around here. So there was a brain gain in America and a brain drain from other parts of the world because they would come here. The opportunities were here, which is why I want America to own the rails continuously. To They used to come here, but now a lot of them are going back because there are other opportunities where they're from because the resources there. Tech has enabled that. Right. So we want them to be trained here and stay here because uh, then we absorb all the innovation. But if it's elsewhere, that's not that's not going to help us improve unless we kind of pick up a tangential piece of it. BP added more than 70 billion dollars to the U.S. economy last year by making investments from coast to coast. Investments like building charging hubs for fleets of electric buses in California and starting up new infrastructure in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. Welding instructor Alex DeClaire knows firsthand how VR training platforms like ForgeFX can help meet the demand for skilled workers. Anywhere you go look, there's going to be a shortage of welders. VR training can help welding students learn the skills they need to begin and advance in their career. The beauty of virtual reality is it simulates that exact muscle memory that they need. Explore more stories like Alex's at meta.com slash metaverse impact. AI might be the most important new computer technology ever. It's storming every industry and literally billions of dollars are being invested. So buckle up. The problem is that AI needs a lot of speed and processing power. So how do you compete without costs spiraling out of control? It's time to upgrade to the next generation of the cloud, Oracle Cloud Infrastructure, or OCI. OCI is a single platform for your infrastructure, database, application development, and AI needs. OCI has four to eight times the bandwidth of other clouds, offers one consistent price instead of variable regional pricing, and of course, nobody does data better than Oracle. So now you can train your AI models at twice the speed and less than half the cost of other clouds. If you want to do more and spend less, like Uber, 8x8, and Databricks Mosaic, take a free test drive of OCI at oracle.com strategic. That's oracle.com strategic. oracle.com strategic. There's plenty to celebrate in March and Craft Month with the perfect pizza at home class from Craftsy. And anytime is right to listen to iHeartRadio's iHeartCountry Radio. Discover more shows and movies for free. CNN Underscore's Guide to Sleep has tons of recommendations for products that can help you get the best night's sleep ever. All right, let's face it. Most of us have had trouble falling or staying asleep at some point. And there are a lot of products and hacks claiming to be the solution to our sleepless nights. That's why the CNN Underscored team spend hundreds of hours testing products to find the ones that can make a huge difference in the quality of your slumber. Visit Underscored.com now for our ultimate guide to getting better sleep.
Right now, with uh, one of the interesting things about the pandemic has been is that developing countries, you know, you think we have inflation, they have some serious inflation problems. And I met a girl last night right here in Los Angeles who started an AI company in India. And guess what she did? She packed up her stuff and she moved here. And even though she runs an India-based business, guess where she's raising all her money from? Hint, hint, wink, wink. It's here. So it seems like the, the whole idea of migration to America especially because, you know, this is where the funding comes from. And maybe our consumer bases won't be from here in the future, right? Maybe we'll look to places like India because they have a massive population and, you know, a lot more room to run economically than in a developed country like the U.S. or Canada. But I think that uh, we're still going to see a lot of people wanting to live here because the quality of life is also very good here. So there's Quality of life and access to capital markets is phenomenal here. Right. Far superior to many, many places in the world. That's why China, when they're shutting down on their tech plays to IPO in America, that's a hindrance to their local economies because that's shutting off all the access to the Andreessen Horowitz's or the or Google's of the world. Right. They don't want that. So I agree with you on that statement. Absolutely. Yeah, that's been really interesting. Let's talk a little bit about that because it's been counterintuitive. Right. China recently uh, you know, stopped IPOs, initial public offerings on American markets. And that's exactly what you're talking about. You have really, really smart people like Jack Ma, the founder of Alibaba, who disappeared and lost half his wealth because he said something, you know, against the Chinese Communist Party. And there's so many other, you know, very prolific entrepreneurs in China building great businesses. And the government, paradoxically, is hurting their own economy. How, how did yeah. this happen? I mean, I think any other country, a place like Japan or Korea right next door would be like, hey, please list on the American market. It makes our country stronger. It's an interesting dichotomy that's happening. There's a lot of. So we always kept thinking China is the next frontier and and possibly a large population still is. I and I may I'm still on the fence about it. But after these recent things that have been happening literally in the last two, three months, it's odd to see what direction they're taking. But they want control. I think they're looking at it from a let's let's get the simple simple thing out of here. What we're able to say about our presidents and all and anyone in power due to freedom of speech, they don't want that because that's just crazy effery to them. They don't want well, to deal with that. It's a mess. Yeah, it's a mess, right? No, but we are allowed to say anything and everything, and there's no repercussion technically, right? Uh, there, they don't want that. Okay, so that's the simple thing out of the way. Now let's look at so China. So they're the entire. Okay, this is gonna. How can I say this without sounding so? anti on PC and so pro-American I'm very pro-American but we they copied our blueprint in a sense right (laughs) we you know senior Bush pushed through and then generated the idea because he wanted access to their markets to sell our goods to China and then Clinton pushed it through in Congress and got it done so those two together got that done that was mainly for us to sell there the part of that trade agreement is we would release a lot of the trade you know make it easier to trade free you know free trade between the countries but their part of the deal was let's lower a lot of the import tax and all that but they then started inheriting a lot of our tech and not sharing as much with us they stopped Google and Facebook from playing there we didn't even know Microsoft was still there until like two weeks ago LinkedIn is now being <laughs> shut down all right I thought yeah. they were, everyone was gone I, so, I, I, I was shocked too I'm like LinkedIn exists in China they're That's still there yeah. Yeah. yeah so basically they have they uh, they inherited a lot of our IP without giving backs, and now they're building Ali, Alibaba is a behemoth compared to Amazon. It has it's you know everything in play, whereas Amazon is a marketplace plus a lot of other things. Alibaba is all that and then some, right? So that a lot of that those, the ideation ideation was from here. Now when they're shutting down access to our capital markets, 
you would think that could be a great play for that could be great for America because then maybe some of their best talent would want to come here back to your point right because hey we can build free reign there and do that I almost think that we they and the funny thing is they empowered them they had state-backed companies allowed them to flourish like Alibaba and then you know and all these companies and WeChat and all of these and they just grew to crazy scale but now if you're retracting all of that and the support of it it's going to be messy I think they have other issues real estate uh, is is going to implode there unless they get around it, right? So they're having a lot of things. They're having to, there's a lot of things while they're playing both sides of this fence that are going to either take them to the next stratosphere, as many assumed, or this latest play that it could hold them back. They have an aging population as well, right? Their productivity can't keep up, which is why they allowed now I think up to two or three children per family, where it used to be one forever. They're trying to control the population, but now they know a couple about a couple of decades from now they're. They're at 1.3 billion. They're going to be down to 750 million. So inherently, their productivity will fall because of that. So now they're allowing more children to kind of keep pace with the rest of the world. I, I yeah, I was Go with a bunch me. of, I was with a bunch of very very wealthy investors last night here at a whiskey tasting party in Santa Monica. You would have enjoyed it. Oh, and you know amazing. the number one thing that I heard last night was that China and the U.S., whether they like it or not, are starting to decouple. This whole chimerica relationship, which defined the past 20 years of economic development, you know, making cheap stuff in China to ship to the United States and then taking our capital and reinvesting it in China is done. I mean, it's still there. I don't think it's going away. You're talking about the two largest economies in the world, but we're yeah. nobody's doubling down on old bets anymore. We, we, and the funny thing is we still need each other in many capacities, right? But if we decouple, then then that means a lot of manufacturing has to move back on shore here locally. And that means they can't sell. So what we buy a lot of, I don't know what I can say, how far, we buy a lot of their shit, right? <laughs> we buy a lot of great products yeah. and a lot <laughs> yeah. of not so great products and a lot of not so great quality products, right? So if they can't sell us here, they must believe that they have pockets in Europe or other pockets in the world that they can actually sell their great and cr crappy quality items to, right? An another thing that's a big part of this is, this is completely going off rails, reel me in as you need. So we, America, always used to control shipping globally. We're trying sure. to pull back from that. We were, the sh we were the shipping police, which is why our goods and goods always reached us when we needed them. And that, that's, that's by design because we put a lot of money into that, a lot of capital endorsed it. Now we're pulling back from that. And guess who's sweeping right in? So China. So, so that, these, are, it's, these are very tepid times that we don't know which way the powers will shift. Because if they, hey, they have their own real estate and aging population issues, but then they're controlling the rails as far as the ships, shipping industry. And you know what we're doing with the Belt and Road Initiative. We know their, their grand design there. It can be scary. If America is not policing all that, then America then won't be high priority anymore, right? Uh, so it's, let's see where that all plays out. I, I have a contrarian opinion about this. Okay. So a lot of the Belt and Road Initiative, which if you don't know what that is, it's just China just shoving money into developing countries to gain political access. And here's the thing. We have the thing, a little organization called the World Bank in the International Monetary Fund, the IMF, as well as private yeah. banks, right? Don't you think if there were good deals out there, Atul, that these people would have found them already? So that leads me to believe that the deals that the Chinese are signing are stuff that Western banks and Western multilateral institutions probably are not willing to do. Now, so in the long play, they're not going to be profitable. Now, politically, I'm sure it will grant them a lot of access. Is this sustainable? Yeah. At the end of the day, you have to make money. You can't just, you can't just, feed 
you know, the machine and expect good results, just burning cash. I like that point. I love that point. Okay. So I, I agree with 80, 90% of it. All right. So here's one thing. Africa was this continent full of natural resources that was untapped because A, Western countries didn't want to deal with it. This is, you know, around, we, like I said, Bush and Clinton, we helped get them into NATO and all these other programs in the world on the world stage to compete. They got a seat there because of us. We said because we basically wanted. Well, to China, have a, China's a, not in NATO. No, 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 no. China's not. not I'm sorry, not NATO. Organization. World, world Trade Organization. That's, that, uh, yeah. So WTO. So we gave them that seat. What did they do? They parked up in Africa because it was untapped, and they were okay dealing with the political instability and the corruption they're okay with it as far as the local governments are concerned nothing against the people so they and they said okay we got to inherit that they did their kind of just a, what we did, what america did in venezuela laden them with debt with incredibly high interest rates that's exactly what they did first it was a win-win between africa and china now you look at angola and all these countries they're laden with debt and they can't they're buried in it and how they get it so the chinese influence is even stronger there so they have built this pipeline of resources and they've skipped around india because they're they're contrarian uh, messaging, and they've gone developed shipping ports in Sri Lanka. So who, America's best bet to move forward is, you know, Japan, Australia, India, and America working together, and they've already established some sort of agreements to do that, because there's like a better world is whatever, what they're kind of aiming for, right? And that's the problem with China. I mean, China has been very smart with their geopolitical tentacles, but the rest of the world is against them. So I think it's a, it's hard to have a lot of confidence in the Chinese regime when literally everyone you just named, India, China, you know, uh, South Korea, Australia Japan, uh, yeah. Australia, Japan, Western Europe, everyone. I mean, really, there's only two powers in the world today. And, you yeah. know, with North Korea as a sideshow. And of course, that's Russia and China and everyone yeah. else. Besides maybe Iran and a few other counterexamples like Cuba, you know, everyone's on the same uh, on the same page fundamentally, yeah. more or less. Yeah. I mean, we definitely have our big cultural differences and our spats and our problems, but more or less everyone thinks that, you know, and this is a dirty word these days, neoliberal economics, you know, capitalism first policies are yeah. is basically the consensus these days. But think they're and they're pulling right in. So like we pull out of Af Afghanistan, right? Uh, just recently, and then China walked right in. So they have access to what do they have? Rare earths, which you'll need for like solar power and a lot of these other things that are coming in the future. Future technology. They they have direct access to them at extremely low cost. So it's scary in a little bit, but yeah, I agree with you. If these other countries can align, the rare earths. Okay, so I wrote an op-ed <laughs> about this for Yahoo Finance. If you want to okay. die about rare earths, so rare I, I don't because you'll school me on it. <laughs> so rare earths aren't rare at all. Basically, the way China is winning this game is because the process of manufacturing or extracting rare earths is so intensive, so unprofitable, and so enormously polluting that a lot of people aren't willing to touch it. In fact, for years, all the rare earth metals came from here in California. Uh, we still do that, but we ship it off to China for final processing because the stuff that is allowed in China would make, you know, basically any environmental agency outside of that country, uh, shut it down. Yeah. And it's also <laughs> unprofitable, right? But it's a power thing, right? If you have the, we'll call it unobtainium, like we live in Avatar, that you need to power a phone, you know, 
it, it makes sense. And this is the smart thing about China. They do things that don't make any economic sense, but they make political sense. I've been saying this all the time. Mm-hmm. Where politics meets economics, politics always wins, right? Even in this country, yeah. but especially in China. So rare right. earth metals is one thing, but there are already a lot of efforts to bring back rare earth metal processing to Western countries, including one very ambitious one in Western Australia. So look, mm. again, the decoupling is taking place, but of course, this yeah. takes a lot of time. Yeah. I'll look that article up. I, I'm, I look forward to reading that. That's amazing. Yeah, well, I, you know, it took a lot of research. You know, I, I get asked to do a lot of commentary about, you know, China and, you know, all of these issues, and they all tend to be tethered together. And really, these wild supply chains that we've built are coming back to haunt us right now, that we yeah. can't even go to the store and get what we need is alarming. Do you think that's going to change, finally, make companies say, you know what, I'm going to set up a factory in Michigan. I'm going to set up a factory in Kansas. Like, screw this whole just crazy game of playing chicken with, you know, shipping lanes and multiple countries. Like, are they fi- – or maybe even sourcing it here in the Americas in Mexico or in Central America and South America. Do you think the, the needle is moving on manufacturing? So, yes. And w- what comes with that, though? Right. Goods will be more expensive because we pay our salaries and our wages here. So there's that. There's that's one one of the main reasons we shipped it off. Right. We allow that entire industry to kind of leave our shores for the most part. So if it comes back, things will be more expensive. But then you get to control the supply chains like during covid, what we ran through. Hey, we couldn't get access to a lot of things because we didn't control the manufacturing the and the rails, the supply chain logistics of it. So that showed us like Apple now is making chips internally and they're not they're not relying on solely just China. They're building elsewhere. They, I think India and Taiwan, I believe they've partnered with. So, yes, if we bring things back here, then people have to get accustomed for paying a lot more for goods. So capital will get will get internally domestically will get re- redistributed right or reallocated maybe you were paying a little bit more for your house before you might pay a little bit less because goods cost a lot more right so you have to save an extra 10 20 grand a year or 10k a year whatever it is i don't know but that's going to have some impact on our lifestyles as well i guess i'm i'm befuddled by the whole thing because there's so much money on the table for corporations that get supply chains right Like if you are able to consistently deliver a product and let's face it, most people don't care where it comes from, how it was made. They care that it's on the shelf or at least in your virtual shopping cart, right? And it's available and it's a good price, right? How could so many companies get this wrong? How can, how can, (laughs) why wouldn't they have rich supply chains where they say, you know what? East Asia is cheap. We'll get some from there. We'll have some domestic manufacturing, will go to even lower cost markets. I mean, these are some of these are trillion dollar companies. How are oh, they getting this wrong? Well, it was a margin play, right? So you could you increase your margin. So China absorbed a lot of that. So then we just, okay, let's deal with them. Let them handle that. We'll handle everything, branding and everything this side. Innovation and branding we'll handle, send it off them to create it. And then we bring it back. We get the dis- distribution and everything right. Now, when, what, the reason China just kept escalating and accelerating their process, then it's now, once they get it right, then it's just a capacity thing. You just keep to build, keep building out in China. So we just kept sourcing with them from them. So then it didn't make sense to partner with other countries. But now that we saw that there can be a supply chain disruption, last year was a wake-up call. Accelerated tech, 10 years, and now we're seeing logistical supply chains need to get going out. They didn't want it to eat into their margins. They said, okay, it's low-cost margin. China was smart to play that game, right? Let's keep it low-cost, and they'll keep coming to us. But now we know that we can't rely on them solely. So that is going to come into play. I think a lot of them are now starting to reshift their focus around 
onshoring these in the manufacturing of a lot of things. That'll help but the economy. I, 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 but part of my French as well, this is just stupid. You know, like there's so much money on the table. We knew that eventually the supply chain would get disrupted eventually sure. because of something. We didn't envision yep. it would be a pandemic. Right. We thought yeah. it was going to be a trade war there for a second. Right. So yeah. already it's like hint, hint, wink, wink. This isn't working out well. Don't you think that would be a powerful indicator of maybe not even just just maybe not worry about your quarterly report for five minutes and think about the long term? Or are we just stuck in the whole perennial short-termism in corporate that, America. No, that's the problem. So I'm in, you know, I invest in the public and private markets. So I'm a big fan of equity markets, but that is a big problem. It's about reporting quarterly and returning money to the executive at the top and, and, and less the shareholders per se. Well, you have to keep shareholders happy, but that's what it comes down to. Let's, it's a short-term vision, which is what China is doing a long-term vision as a contrarian point, right? They're looking five, 10 years, 20 years down the road, maybe 100 years down the road. And I, I think, so I've spoken to some folks who are economists in China and their look at it is, hey, we lost the last 100 years. But for 5,000 years, we kind of ran the show, right? <laughs> in their opinion. So that, and, and so they're thinking, well, we lost the last 100, but let's get it back. And this is our way to control everything. So yeah, I agree. Ha, ha, get ha, Start having things built here again. That'll spurn pockets of our economy, but let's see, there might be costs and other things then as well. It's just that the person who figures that out is the next trillionaire. And I think that person is Elon Musk because his car company, Tesla, you know, went yeah. from, oh, great, it's electric to now like, oh, you have cars. That's great. Like, I can <laughs> yeah. go to the dealership and buy a car because these days I just yeah. did a video today. There's there's five year old Kias with 80,000 miles going for more than 10 grand. I mean, the car, yeah. my car, I have a 2020 Audi A4 that I bought last year for thirty four thousand dollars. It's worth more than that, even yeah. after driving it around for a year and just, you know, with all the nicks from valet parking and from my terrible parallel parking. Yeah. So to me, it just signals that anyone who could just deliver a consistent mm -hmm. product at a reasonable price, just like it's always been, stands right. to, you know, rule the world right now. I agree. I agree. But then it's ruling which world, right? So if you're if you're focusing your manufacturing here, then you're catering to the domestic audience. You can maybe export it, but then they can't. Re what if they can't rely on you? If you're exporting to Angola or Germany or somewhere, what if you? If everyone takes that vision, then that's an interesting conversation as well. But I agree, we need to bring a lot of that manu manufacturing back. There are other caveats with that, though, right? As we discussed, as far as the margins will get hit, but then and then if you're paying more to get goods, you're going to pay less. And we're a consumption economy in America. Uh, Western countries are all consumption economies. So you want them spending where our economy is designed for us to spend consistently uh, for it to keep running. So let's see. Let's see how, how it plays out. But if they a lot of times technology has come such a long way, like even in the past year, it's come so much further. You know, the studio that I'm sitting in, the cost of just all this equipment has come crashing down. And even sure. if we did onshore, those big. You know, the Detroit of the 1960s is never going to come back, right? There's a lot of this is going to be mechanized. Can't these yeah. big multinational companies figure out how to make products cheap? And if it's not in the U.S., maybe in Mexico, you know, yeah. there's, there's it's a Asia seems like they cornered the market and I'm sure they'll always play a role in, you know, getting our wares. But maybe, you know, have you ever heard there's power in diversity and nature and, you know, like yeah. you can't just have 
you're hoping that some some factory in Guadong is able to get the crap on the boat and that it doesn't get stuck in the port of LA and then oops there's not enough trucks like that's that sounds incredibly stressful and silly and just to further cement your point and why we need to do it here, look at the look. You're you're dealing with it in LA, the shipping issue, right? The container issue. There's a buildup because things weren't getting created in time, manufactured. Then then they're running back. So they're actually shipping containers back to Asia empty because it's it's more equitable for them. The margin compression. If they actually lo- if they unload those things and get them onto the trucks and distribute across America here, then they reload them with soybeans, which America is a huge exporter of. Let's say and get those back to the country, they have to go and drop those off in three, four locations versus going directly to one market to pull more goods to sell back to Americans, right? So there, there's a ton of sh- shipping costs have gone through the roof because of the demand, and supply has been scarce. And this is a this is a kind of a problem here. So if we wouldn't have to deal with that right now, you're literally to have empty shipping containers go across the ocean just to get more goods to sell us because we're, they're in such demand, right? So that that's incredible. It's incredible. I'm furthering your point that we need to control production here. BP added more than $70 billion to the U.S. economy in 2022. Investments like acquiring America's largest biogas producer, Arkea Energy, and starting up new infrastructure in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. Ophthalmologist Dr. Strauss has seen firsthand how the metaverse is helping surgeons practice the procedures to treat cataracts. Cataracts are the primary cause of avoidable blindness. He works with a virtual reality training platform developed by Fundamental VR and Orbis International to help surgeons develop the muscle memory they need. The result? more confident, capable surgeons, and even more importantly, patients who can see. Explore more stories like Dr. Strauss's at meta.com slash metaverse impact. There's plenty to celebrate in March and ex- Craft Month with the perfect pizza at home class from Craftsy. And anytime is right to listen to iHeartRadio's iHeartCountry Radio. Discover more shows and movies for free. Martha Stewart, the original influencer. When I think about anything, I think about the way that she did it first. The media mogul. The six years ahead, she saw what was coming. The prisoner. The rise, the fall and the reinvention of an American icon. Once Martha paved the road, everybody else pretty much copied her. A CNN original series, The Many Lives of Martha Stewart, now streaming on Max. Welcome to 500 Greatest Songs, a podcast based on Rolling Stone's hugely popular, influential, and sometimes controversial list. I'm Brittany Spanos. And I'm Rob Sheffield. We're here to shed light on the greatest songs ever made and discover what makes them so great. From classics like Fleetwood Mac's Dreams to the Ronettes' Be My Baby, and modern day classics like The Killer's Mr. Brightside. Listen to Rolling Stone's 500 Greatest Songs starting on March 13th on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Podcasts. 
So let's talk about cash. And this is something you and I talk about all the time. Yes. You know, the, the, the conception of money is changing, right? We kind of figured out it was all BS, right? And it's, uh, you know, now there's crypto. Now there's non-government ways to save money. You know, it seems like uh, that the earth has been flattened for saving money in, through different instruments. At the same time, it seems like the value of the world's most powerful currency the U.S. dollar seems to go down every day. Everything's expensive. You sure. know, everything's through the roof. Where do you think the future is of money? Is it crypto? Is it something else? And how is our relationship with money changing? I do think there is a, com a world exists or some hybrid combination of it. So I think we will go to digital currency. Just keep, keep that. Park that. Um, right now... You're, you're, it behooves you to, if inflation's have literally, we're living in realized 5 6% inflation right now. You keep it in the bank, you're getting 0.001%, you're losing money, technically, yep. year over year. So invest it. Now, so crypto on the other side, do we know of Bitcoin, Ethereum, all of them? I'm, I'm a heavy believer in some capacity of crypto. 98% of the projects are absolute garbage. They're going to fail. But a couple of them will resolve and be the be the currency of the world potentially, right? So, which is scary for the U.S. dollar. We want every majority of the world is pegged to the U.S. dollar, so they have to keep our value up. If you have crypto, which is completely unnative to any country, right? It's a completely deregulated. There's limited use for the U.S. dollar, so you don't have to peg your local currencies against the U.S. dollar anymore. You can be pegged against something else. Bitcoin is known as the digital gold, right? Right now, because it's the oldest guy in the playground, but it's also only, you know, it's 2008, 2009, right? It's not that old, but it's kind of the premier. Ethereum, the second largest by market cap, is 2015, 16, so just five, six years old. Yes, there's, I think, digital currency. How easy is it? How often do you pay with real cash anywhere right now? Never. Yeah, right. I mean, you're you're if, if at most if you do anything, you're doing Apple Pay, which is pegged to credit lines of credit, which are then come out of your bank account. So it's pegged to some dollar at some point. I like the whole digital currency play. Who's going to be around ten years from now? Who knows? I think people are trying. Investors are piling in. So institutional investors, just look at it this way: whether you believe in Bitcoin or Dogecoin, Dogecoin, you should seek help if you believe in that as the currency <laughs> of the future. You can make money in it. You might make a million, two million dollars in it, but I don't think it's the currency that'll be around ten years from now. I'm just going to put that out there. Uh, Bitcoin might, might not be, but a lot of institutional investors. If you look at a lot of funds, they're pouring money into Bitcoin and Ethereum, but more so Bitcoin because they believe in it as a stake. So that inherently creates a floor for the value because people won't just sell out of it so easily as they would sell out of, let's say, a Shibu or whatever, Shiba Inu or whatever the hell just skyrocketed yesterday. Yeah, there's always a new coin every week. Yeah, yeah. so yeah. look at it this way. So, you know, perfect example what you just said. Let's piggyback off that. So big, there are crypto, it's, part, it's, it's a feature, not a bug for these to be extremely volatile. Right, because we're still settling on what they true the true value of them is. So, but in every rise, all these altcoins rise with Bitcoin and Ethereum. But in every crash, Bitcoin and Ethereum tend to rise again. But there are new altcoins, so that should give you some understanding as to which one the 
globally is being seen as kind of more stable. It looks like so far, Bitcoin and Ethereum, and then there are new altcoins. Where are the crazy margins you could potentially make are in the altcoins because they're such shitty plays, right? You can dump it. If you, if you put 100x or 100k or a mil in one of these, it could be worth 20 mil. It could be 10x or 100x of that value three days later, and then it's going to crash. Just get out in time. But timing the markets as an investor, you shouldn't try to do that. But if you want to play a little bit, you should figure out what's safe for you. I'm not a financial advice. <laughs> so I uh, have an alternative view on this as well. So uh, I think that digital currency is the future, but the government doesn't like competition. So yeah. I think that the digital dollar, the digital euro, the digital yuan will really come yeah. to be the cryptocurrency of the future. I really don't think that the government is going to be like, hey, this is fine. I think we yeah. are overdue for reckoning with crypto, specifically in regulation. And you can't blame the government in a certain way, you know, especially yeah. with with all these altcoins that are basically, you know, pump and dump schemes. They have yep. to wade into the conversation. These are financial instruments. Hopefully the government doesn't regulate it with too much of a heavy hand, because that's a problem as well. But I think a lot of as my brother would say, that's already been priced in, but I don't think it has. I don't think people what, what realize. has been priced in. What has been priced in, in his opinion? Uh, you know, the the government regulating cryptocurrency. I don't, okay, uh, maybe. So here, so when China shut down operations, they were the largest Bitcoin miners by far, right? And then they shut down just recently this year. Who inherited? I mean, well, it went to the other U.S. Parts of the they world. all came here. <laughs> New York, New York City, and Austin, uh, yeah. specifically those two regions, these two cities inherited a lot of the new mining so then that feeds into the local economies you want it, it, it's a draw on energy but that you know that's it but then you can have low wi-fi bandwidth you can set up in a farm and or in the woods and as long as you have wi-fi you can continue running these things right uh so it's it's a detriment to the government that wants to overregulate because then they'll just go to another shore and then that'll feed into their local economy right so you kind of want to have them but then i get why they want to regulate if you want to play devil's advocate, i get it because they want to still be we're the premier Currency. And everyone has to kind of, at the end of the day, kind of do as we say right now. And, and th that's what you want. So if you're saying there's just a digital version of everything, I believe that's going to happen. But then we still need for America to kind of re not comp to remain the premier priority and the competitiveness and not get complacent. We still need everything to be pegged to the U.S. digital dollar so we remain relevant. And can I think dictate that makes terms. sense. <laughs> yeah. It's just a decentralized currency is just philosophically so appealing on many levels, but it's also scary because in eras of inflation or deflation, there are very few instruments that can control these currencies. I mean, I understand that, you know, we're supposed to have a free market, but sometimes you need government intervention to put the horse back in the barn. But, you know, that's yeah, just me. No, you're, you're completely on, on point right there. Because, like, the scary thing, let's say if you lose 400K, 500K in, in Fidelity or E-Trade, you make a call, it's FDIC insured, right? You, something will get figured out if there was some hacking or whatever. If, something, if you lose that much in crypto, who do you call? There's no one to call. It's deregulated. It's gone. Right. So that, that kind of proves your point as and why you happened. would like some. It's that's happened, happened several times. And cyber criminals that just empty out, you know, your uh, your account and you lose your crypto forever. Or if you lose your password, you're done. Are you in? Are you in? Are you playing at all in crypto? So I am the weirdest guy on earth. I am pro crypto. I own no crypto. So the I get called a lot to quote to for quotes. I get interviewed a lot about crypto because I think I'm the only one in the world, right? Because most of the time <laughs> when you're pro crypto, you're all in. 
Uh, I am not a believer, but I am not a crypto atheist either. So I am somewhere in between, which seems to be a rarity in this world. Okay. I fought it in 2017 and I have friends that just make fun of me now. I said, what the hell are you talking about? Right. <laughs> and then now I'm kind of on board and I know I do feel some of them are majority of them will fall off, but some of these projects are pretty impressive. I hope. Oh, I, I think hope, it's the wave right. of the future. I'm, I'm incredibly bullish on it. It's just, yeah, I'm not quite there in terms of, you know, putting in my own savings and maybe I'll come to regret it. Maybe I won't. I guess we'll all see about that. So speaking of investment, yeah. before this is over, I want to talk about that because you you sure. are someone who looks at startups, you know, and I think it's a poorly kept secret right now that everything is overvalued, right? So big yeah. money people, their play is to invest in startups because that's how really wealth is created in this country these days. You find someone mm -hmm. smart, they have a good idea, they're solving a problem, right? That big companies can't even play in that sandbox anymore because they're too mm -hmm. big and they resemble governments yeah. these days. So really, and then the big guys want to buy startups as well, because, you know, that's how they get innovation. That's how they grow their market. So what do you look for in a startup when you when you want to invest? So uh, so where our focus is tech plays in entertainment. So broadly playing broad, broad stroke is and then the. Singularly, it would be sports and media content type of that sports plays so we're, we're looking we're doing some things with the nba right now so tech plays that enable athletes to perform better let's just keep it in that range without me getting too specific okay or yeah, no problem. other media content plays that make sense apps that deliver certain types of content or or development of apps i've wanted to dial into that more because i think there's a huge a audience and b capital uh capital capturing moment right now where every streaming advice device is overpaying for content right now because they need to get eyeballs on their platforms and retain them. So that's happening. And I think we have a three-year window before we realize, oh shit, we don't need this much content, right? Uh, some people realize it, but the majority of the people have not. Um, we look for, when I'm investing in something, so we're, A, we're going to look in our lane, our focus. It's not going to benefit you by anyone pitching healthcare to me because I know I worked in it when I was a techie, but I'm not that guy. I don't invest in it. Biotech, it's not my space, although I believe there's phenomenal things happening there. So A, get your audience, your, your venture person, your venture investor right, pitch to the right person. We look for idea, idea yes, and the product or service you're offering, but more so the person, the founder, because we need to know that you are in it. It's a business marriage. Right, it's five to seven years of us together. I've had relationships where we invest in companies and are it outlasts their real marriage, often. Right? <laughs> and, and it's just it's an unfortunate thing because sixty percent of them end up that way in America. But so we are going to be working. We don't have to be dear friends. We just have to be friendly, and we know that we can push each other to get the best outcome for your product or service. So a that's what we look for. The are you willing to pivot with an idea as a founder? I want to see, I want to invest in a founder that I have this thing I call it I should patent this because it's it's dumb though it's arbitrary I call it the bullpen or the bull pit battle if you're a founder have a new product or service I drop you into a bull pit and there's a marketer a financer an accountant a branding person whatever they've never heard of you but you say and the only way to get out of that room is you convince them that your product or solution or service is the only way that something can be solved and you're the right person to do it I'm on board. Most people don't have that kind of tenacity, right? It's hard to find that. And often when we invest in a company, they, we invest because we have kind of, well, quote unquote, expertise in that arena, uh, you know, and then so our Rolodex is also in that arena. We can help you with distribution and scaling. Uh, the money part is the smallest portion of it, in my opinion. So we want the idea will pivot. 
over time. Uh, often we see, okay, you were thinking X, X, and R, that's what you do, but it's actually X, X, and D, Y, that you should actually follow that path and it'll get you more scale and opportunity to capture margins. I guess your question. Uh, yeah, it does. I interview <laughs> okay. entrepreneurs for a living. I guess the only trepidation behind your model that I have, it sounds incredibly intelligent and ultimately we invest in people and their yeah. ideas. And it's always a yeah. person who comes with that. I guess I find I've interviewed, you know, everyone from Mark Cuban down to someone who doesn't even have a business plan. And I guess sometimes people don't present well. And I use this, you know, when I hire people that they don't have that ability to think quick on their feet in that bullpen that you were talking about. But that doesn't mean they're bad entrepreneurs. I feel like we overvalue the pitch and overvalue like clean Fair. presentation skills. Fair. And you don't want to just rely on the pitch or the presentation. You want to rely on that person. Can they think, I want to throw topics at you and can you figure out how to resolve them? And then we can kind of apply that to the market trajectory and see if that'll work. So I'm, I'm, I agree with you. It's not just resolving on how they pitch. They might get nervous. They may not say the right things. It's way beyond that. It's like, how do you think? What's your thought process around this challenge? Because we're going to hit a lot of challenges and we're going to lose some money, probably. 80 to 85% of startups fail. And I'm being conservative with that number, I think. Yeah, that's right. A, I think it's more. Yeah. <laughs> I think it might be 90, right? And, and I look at a failure. as like, let's say if you could have gotten a job making 200K a year for five years as a young person, you would have made a million dollars. But if you get into this other larger startup instead and you, you get up to 500K and that, that to me is a fail. <laughs> is that a wrong way of looking at it? But you could have just gone and done something else and then invested that into public markets and done better, right? So I, I you know, it's it, unless you're going to change the world type of thing. So- 80 percent is a safe guard to say, and we we invest knowing that one or two companies. Every VC invests. Let's say if you're a fifty million fund like we are, you're, you're going to invest in twenty companies, and I can walk you through the quick metrics of it if you please. One or two of those is going to return the entirety of the fund. You're going to lose on the others, and one or two companies are going to return all the capital that your LPs and you to make sure you can supersize at McDonald's. I don't eat that shit, but um, <laughs> you can, you know, you can. Uh, I'm sorry if you have a brand uh, endorsement deal with them, but uh, <laughs> one or two companies are going to return the entirety of capital that you have to return to all your L your limited partners. You want me to walk you through a quick $50 million model? And I can do it in 30 yeah, seconds. Yeah, go ahead, please. So here's the, here's the thing. You have $50 million, That means doesn't mean you have $50 million to invest right away. So every venture group lasts 10 years, let's say. So if you take a 2% admin fee, NSA, that's to pay for rent, legal transactions, all, all, all those kind of things. So take away that's 2% per year. You're down to $10 million, So you're at $40 million left to be investable, right? Of that $40 million, what we'll do is we'll take $20 million and park it for year three, four. $20 million, we go out and play right now, day one. So we go and invest that first 20 million and we're going to put it into, let's say a third of those companies that we invest in, we're going to lose money on, not going to go anywhere. A third will break even. That's a loss in my opinion. One third, we'll see, okay, there's potential here. Let's dial down. So then three, four years down the road, we take that second 20 million tranche and apply it to that one third that we think is going to scale and work. And that's kind of how a fund works. And with that, so if you want a, a successful venture group, you want to get two and a half, three times the size of the initial fund. So you want to get to like 130, 150 mill to return and you're basing it on just like a you know a one third of the companies that kind of worked early on in a sense if that kind of makes sense in a nutshell that's very generalized terms yeah i don't think people understand how many of them fail and then like oh, how yeah. there's there's like different different levels what you were saying because the second third like kind of muddles along and then you kind of have to cut them off and really invest in the strong yeah absolutely 
So what do you, what do you think if, if, if we're out of time here, but I want to know if, if you, if you have an idea and an angel investor comes and it's like, I'm willing to throw money at you. What do you, what is the first rule of thumb that you would impart on our audience? Oh, that's a good one. Uh, make sure it's a great idea and it's solving something a for you. It's solving a problem we actually have in the market that needs to be solved. And you're the right person to execute. That's it. Yeah, <laughs> that's it, man. So yeah. it all stands because it seems like every time you get into venture capital and the way they invest in terms and caps and pro rata, and there's all this like language that has been invented around this space. And it's, it's kind of hard to follow for a lot of people. Sure. Sure. Yeah. And think about it this way. There's a, something that needs to be in the market and there's a, there's a, there's a huge challenge or hurdle that you're facing, or, you know, a, a ton of people are facing, solve that problem and find out how to make margins on it. That's it. That's really it at the end of the day. It's easier said than done. I agree. But that's it. <laughs> you, you know, what's really funny. And I'll end on this. I, I, I met this guy many years ago. He run, he's a hair magnate. He runs one of the most famous hair brands in America. He's the founder of Chi. I'm sure your wife knows what that is, yeah. right? And he gave me the best advice that anyone's ever given me. He's this, you know, just high energy Palestinian guy who came and just made it here. And he told me, David, life is not complicated. And every time I interview people like you, Atul, I remember that. Life is not complicated. Do you have a good idea? Can you make money? Okay, that's a good investment. Are you able to yep. communicate why it's a good investment? Perfect. Love it. That's it. That's it. Well, where do we follow you? So this is the chance for you. You you're also the host with your with your friends. You guys are way cooler than me on Whiskey Hue. I've been a guest on there. <laughs> and you'll come back again. So we do that. I do, we do the podcast. I'm launching a couple other ones. Um, I'm actually going to be teaching in a second year level MBA how to invest financing me, new media ventures starting at Fordham. I'm trying to shop that class around to uh, to Columbia and Princeton. I've been talking to them. That's one thing I'm doing, and I'll be I'm releasing a ton of content. Athulprasher.com, A-T-U-L, Prashar.com, P-R-A-S-H-A-R. A lot of that and all the events and all the things that we do stem from there. We have startup showcases that are pretty high profile. Uh, attend one of those and get involved. We do a lot of things around there. So just look me up. Well, cool. Well, thank you as always. And I'll be following you as I always do. Thanks so much, Dave. You're awesome. So thanks to all of you for joining me as we all followed the profit, a really spirited conversation with a lot of really important stuff that you need to know to understand the economy around you. I'd like to thank Atul. He's a busy man. So, you know, thanks for giving us so much time. And of course, my fabulous team of producers, Rob, Scott, Cheyenne, and so many more that make this podcast a reality. I'd also like to thank our executive producers, Newt Gingrich and Debbie Myers. Thanks for supporting us as we try to educate young people and the wider audience about how to understand the world around them. I'm your host, David Grasso. If you haven't noticed by now, if you're enjoying the show, please give us five stars and leave us a review so we can understand what we can do better in future shows. Follow the Profit is a production of Gingrich 360 and iHeartRadio. For more podcasts from iHeartRadio, visit the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Part of the Gingrich 360 Network. No one likes to talk about money. Am I saving enough? Can I buy a house? Am I paying too much in taxes? Will I be able to retire? What if you could unlock insights about your finances in less than five minutes with a clear picture of where you stand today and where your money can work harder? 
Now you can. Visit facet.com to take the free quiz and get your financial wellness score today. That's F-A-C-E-T.com. This ad is sponsored by Facet. Facet Wealth Incorporated is an SEC-registered investment advisor. This is not an offer to buy or sell securities, nor is it investment, legal, or tax advice. There's plenty to celebrate in March and ex- Craft Month with the perfect pizza at home class from Craftsy. And anytime is right to listen to iHeartRadio's iHeartCountry Radio. Discover more shows and movies for free. As someone who lives for politics, when a major scandal unfolds, it was shocking. I have to know what were they thinking? Backroom deals. Huge amounts of money. CIA secrets. Sets off a firestorm in Washington. Affairs. No way this guy's got a mistress. Corruption. I knew I was a dead man. Warning, it's even messier than you thought. United States of Scandal with Jake Tapper, Sunday at 9 on CNN. Welcome to 500 Greatest Songs, a podcast based on Rolling Stone's hugely popular, influential, and sometimes controversial list. I'm Brittany Spanos. And I'm Rob Sheffield. We're here to shed light on the greatest songs ever made and discover what makes them so great. From classics like Fleetwood Mac's Dreams to the Ronettes' Be My Baby, and modern day classics like The Killer's Mr. Brightside. Listen to Rolling Stone's 500 Greatest Songs starting on March 13th on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Are you looking to step up to a 4K smart TV? One that gives you unparalleled clarity and picture resolution? Then we've got good news for you. Because the Vizio 65-inch V-Series 4K smart TV is now just $348. With all your favorite apps built in, you can stream straight out of the box. You can even sing along to all your favorite music and radio on the iHeartRadio app. Looking for a smaller or bigger screen? Vizio offers unbeatable prices on all V-Series 4K smart TVs. Head to Walmart.com today and score the 4K TV you've been waiting for.